after leaving on a cart on Sunday, Seahawks fans can breathe a sigh of relief. DK Metcalf avoids serious injury. Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it down on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Glad to have you listening in as always and making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Jam-packed Monday Musings episode coming your way. We're going to be dishing out some in-depth takeaways from the Seahawks 37-23 win over the Chargers. Going to be breaking down the latest updates on DK Metcalf's injuries, answering mailbag questions and much more. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com. Promo code locked on. Now, for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. When DK Metcalf left the field on a cart yesterday at SoFi Stadium late in the first quarter, he was smiling and he was nodding on the camera. Everybody was thinking, well, he must be taking another bathroom break like he did a few weeks ago. Unfortunately, this ended up being a much crappier situation for the Seattle Seahawks. Immediately ruling out Metcalf with a left knee injury did not return. The good news today, Rob, after already knowing that his x-rays were negative, he's avoided severe injury, does not need surgery, according to Pete Carroll. He does have a patellar tendon injury. That's always concerning when you hear those two words, but luckily doesn't have a tear or a rupture or anything like that. And it sounds like he has a chance to play fairly soon. We just don't know when yet. Yeah, and Pete Carroll talked about it uh, today during his press conference that um, that that you know DK Metcalf is already trying to push to practice on Wednesday, and of course, when you have a team like the New York Giants coming up this Sunday, um, you know two teams that are. are are, are very much in the thick of the playoff chase. Not a lot of teams and not a lot of people, excuse me, thought that we would be talking about the Seahawks and the Giants as, uh, you know, kind of holding their own um, and, and being in the middle of the playoff contention this early in the year. Um, that to me is, is a shocker. And I frankly, I thought that it was a shocker that DK Metcalf is feeling as good as it appears that it is. As you said, Corbin, um, you know, when he was carted off the field and the way he kind of smiled, you, you had some positive thoughts that, that maybe uh, everything was going to be okay. But, you know, considering how well the Seahawks played in that victory over the Chargers, I thought that Pete Carroll looked pretty glum. In, in his post-game press conference. And I thought, uh-oh, this is a bad sign. He has got, uh, you know, bad feelings about what's going on with DK Metcalf. But as he said on multiple occasions today, um, you know, he got a great report on DK Metcalf and that, that Metcalf, uh, you know, does have a chance to perhaps play this weekend. I, I think that's 
you know, a little bit of that classic Pete Carroll kind of optimism and, and perhaps DK Metcalf optimism here. But still, it looked like this could have been a very serious injury. Unfortunately, we saw plenty of injuries uh, happen to both the Seahawks and the Chargers in that game at SoFi Stadium and that that turf. Um, you know, so to me, this is uh, exciting news. The fact, obviously, not only are we talking about a victory Monday here, but we're talking about DK Metcalf, a player who did struggle with injuries during his collegiate career, clearly escaped a very serious injury. And that to me, that is one of the most exciting aspects of, of the last 24 hours. And, and that's saying something because there was a lot of exciting things that happened in that Seahawks victory. As you mentioned, the turf monster was really out in full force yesterday. I'm going to say this right now, just kind of as an on topic, but yet off topic. Uh, best wishes to J.C. Jackson, who yep. suffered a ruptured patella tendon. So D.K. Metcalf avoided that serious injury to his patellar tendon. J.C. Jackson did not. I, I got flashbacks to Jimmy Graham's injury, the way that he reacted there and just fell over on that touchdown to Marquise Goodwin. And so hopefully J.C. Jackson, one of the best corners in football. I know he had a rough first season with the Chargers, but this guy's consistently been a great football player. Hopefully he can make it back 100% and return to his previous form because that can be a very tricky injury to get back from. But the turf yesterday, I don't know what it is about SoFi Stadium. They had the issue with Odell Beckham tearing his ACL in the Super Bowl for the Rams. Ironically, the hometown team playing in L.A., they have had all kinds of issues there on that turf, even compared to other turf fields. And when Metcalf was going up, rising up for that pass from Geno Smith, and he came down in the press box, it didn't look like anything abnormal. It just looked like a normal DK Metcalf go ball, fade route down the sideline. Let's take advantage of his size. Let's try to outmuscle the defense and get a touchdown here, make it 21 nothing. Nothing looked out of the ordinary. But when I went back and I watched the replay, it wasn't anything significant, but you could see that he landed somewhat awkwardly on his left leg and his knee looked like it looked like it buckled just a little bit. And so that immediately made me think, oh man, I've seen guys have torn ACLs and walk off the field fine without a limp. And I was hoping that's not what's going on there. And luckily again, it looks like the Seahawks have dodged a bullet there. No ACL damage, no other ligament damage. The patellar tendons got a little bit of an injury. We don't know the extent of that, but the fact that Pete Carroll's not ruling out the possibility he could maybe play on Sunday, that is certainly encouraging. But at the same time, as you mentioned, you want to protect the player from himself. And I think Pete Carroll made that somewhat clear in his press conference this afternoon as well by saying, well, Wednesday, regardless, we're not going to be doing very much with him. They're going to give him a few days to cool down and see where he's at by Friday at the end of this week. And if he's running, feeling good, and he's cleared to play, then certainly he could play against the Giants. But if he doesn't practice all week, I think it would be malpractice for them to throw him out like they did with Tyler Lockett. That was a different situation with a hamstring injury. This is a patellar tendon in a knee that we're talking about. And if there's any chance that he could end up injuring it worse or having a ruptured patella tendon by playing at 75 80%, it is absolutely not worth it, even in a game of this magnitude against the six and one Giants. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I'm um, just the, the the fact that there's a hamstring injury with Tyler Lockett. This is a veteran that you know. Give him credit. I mean, I when Tyler Lockett first came into the NFL. 
Corbin, I, I really thought that he was an injury waiting to happen just because he is as slight as he is. But, you know, he does a great job of taking care of himself, um, you know, and the fact that Seattle basically held him out all week long. And there was yet always that optimism that he might be able to get back onto the field. I think, again, that's just kind of a testament in knowing what Tyler Lockett, uh, you know, how he protects his body and how he understands the offense. You don't have to have him on the field throughout the week of practice to know that he already has that rapport with Geno Smith. That is one of the most exciting things about this victory, in my opinion, is the way that Seattle responded, not just with Tyler Lockett, um, but also clearly with Marquise Goodwin and also with, with D. Eskridge. I mean, they had spectacular performance for the Seahawks. They really stepped up when D.K. Metcalf, unfortunately, got carted off the field. Um, but at the same time, that patella tendon injury is a big one. Um, of course, we know not only J.C. Jackson, and I would echo your sentiments earlier there, you know, wishing him the very, very best and in a speedy and very full recovery from this very serious injury. We know there's been a lot of Seahawk players who have had similar types of injuries um, in, in recent years and knock on wood that they're going to be able to come back or have already come back uh, to great success. But, you know, again, it, this isn't a, about trying to beat the New York Giants. I, I think the Seahawks can play with the Giants and perhaps beat the Giants regardless of whether they got DK Metcalf on the field, if, if they continue to get the receiver play that they did against the Chargers. I think this is how also we, we have to completely change our focus on the way this season is going. I am among those who um, will acknowledge the fact that I very much underrated the Seahawks chances of being this competitive at this point in the season. And so now you're thinking postseason. You're, you're thinking yeah. of, of trying to, to play for the long haul here. It just does not make enough sense. There's just too much risk for the possible reward when you have a superstar player like DK Metcalf at the stage of his career where he is at to try to get him to go in this game unless both he and Pete Carroll and I guess obviously Seattle's training staff feels 100% certain uh, that that they're, that his playing against the Giants this weekend and a week after that injury, um, you know, as, as slight as it may be, unless they feel 100% certain that he is ready to go, then why risk it? Just doesn't make a lot of sense, especially, again, when Seattle's offense seems to have not missed a beat, and especially with that running game, the way they've been moving the ball. Uh, this feels like a, a game that the Seahawks have a chance to win. Yeah, this is a game that certainly from a record standpoint, the Giants have been fantastic. They're 6-1. and one. They've won a bunch of one-score games. Well-coached football team. A much different Giants squad than we've seen in the last decade, really. It's been a long time since the Giants have had a good team. But as good as they are, again, you are in first place in the NFC West. You don't want to have DK Metcalf suffer a much more serious injury because you rushed him back for this game. In week eight, there's still so much season ahead of you, and I'm with you. I think they can beat them, the Giants, without Metcalf. It's a good team, but I think that they are still beatable, even without number 14 out there. So I think they'll err side of caution this week. I would be surprised. We'll see what happens, though. We've seen crazier things happen. Maybe Metcalf will be on the field Sunday when they play the Giants. Up next, we're going to get to our Monday mailbag, answering as many questions from you, the Loyal 12s out there, as we can. We'll get to that here in a moment on our Monday episode of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by Prediction Strike, the world's first sports stock market. You can now invest in professional athletes just like stocks. It's a lower risk alternative to sports betting and athlete prices move based on performance as well as supply and demand. If you invested in Jalen Hurts from the undefeated Eagles a year ago, you'd be up 48.2%. 
Kyle Pitts is down 44.1% after struggling to start the year. There are tons of other options for you to look at. And unlike sports betting companies, all athletes benefit too and are entitled to a percentage of their market cap. There's 2.5% trade fees. That's the lowest in real money sports. You can invest in four sports, not just the NFL, but UFC, NBA, as well as Major League Baseball. Everyone knows you should be investing, but why not invest in what you actually know as a football fanatic? Download the Prediction Strike app and use the code LOCKED for a free share when you sign up and make a first deposit of $20 or more. That's promo code LOCKED for a special one-time giveaway. Prediction Strike will choose one person who signs up with the code LOCKED and makes a deposit to win 100 free random shares. That could be worth up to $3,000 if you get lucky and receive Josh Allen's shares. Invest in what you know on Prediction Strike, the stock market for sports. Whether you're looking to pop the question, have a milestone to celebrate, or want to let your love sparkle, Blue Nile can help you make your celebrations even more memorable. As the original online jeweler, Blue Nile offers the largest selection of independently graded diamonds and prices significantly below traditional retailers. Blue Nile has helped millions of couples create their perfect engagement ring. Their easy online tools let you choose the diamond shape, size, and clarity as well as a setting style. Blue Nile's bench jewelers will then help you handcraft her perfect one-of-a-kind engagement ring. Looking for a piece of fine jewelry to commemorate a special milestone but still having trouble choosing? Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7, and they're available via phone or chat to help you find a memorable gift at every budget. Shop stress-free with Blue Nile's 100% satisfaction guarantee, and all Blue Nile orders are insured and shipped for free in discreet packaging. They also offer overnight shipping if you're in a rush. Make your moment sparkle with Blue Nile. Go to BlueNile.com and use the code LOCKEDON to save $50 on your purchase of $500 or more. That's BlueNile.com, LOCKEDON code, to save $50 on your purchase of $500 or more. BlueNile.com, code LOCKEDON. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rank. Thanks to all the 12s out there. We greatly appreciate you listening to Locked On Seahawks five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out Locked On Sports today. For the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today is available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. All right, Rob, let's get to our mailbag. We've got tons of questions from the 12s out there after yesterday's big victory over the Chargers. We even got some Halloween-themed questions. We're only a week away, so let's get to it. First question here for our resident draft guru from Michael Gustafson tweets, how is the guard class in the 2023 draft? Could a plug-and-play right guard be available in the late second or the third round based on the depth of this class? Well, I think they certainly could. I mean, and I think that that was one of the big stories. I think that we still have to kind of every week basically acknowledge just how good Seattle's current draft class looks. Uh, I think all those naysayers out there who are questioning what John Schneider and Pete Carroll are doing, I think that they're being proven wrong right now. But kind of get back to the question. I, I do think that this sets up to be a pretty interest, interesting offensive line group. Um, one of the players who's getting an awful lot of buzz right now, Peter Skaronsky, he plays 
left tackle for Northwestern, and I, I mention him in part because of the fact that the Seahawks just had a big win over the Los Angeles Chargers. They used their first-round pick a couple of years ago um, on, on the, the left tackle, Rashawn Slater, um, from Northwestern. Well, Skaronsky is the guy who basically replaced him. I mention him, even though he plays left tackle, because he has kind of short, stubby arms. He is athletic, but I really like him better at that guard position. So he is a player probably would have to take him in the first round, maybe the early second round. But of course, Seattle has a couple of first and second round selections due to that big trade with, with Denver. Jarrett Patterson from Notre Dame is a player that I've been very high on as well. Has that center guard flexibility that you're very excited about. And if, if we're going to talk about local players, um, by the way, as I just kind of mentioned there with the Rashawn Slater and Skaronsky kind of angle, I, I was interested to see Jackson Kirkland, uh, who has been a left tackle for basically his entire career uh, with the University of Washington, he slid in to play some guard uh, for the Huskies just in this last victory they had against the Cal against Cal. And so, to me, that's another local prospect that uh, that, that maybe the the Seahawks might be looking at. So. Again, I think this is pretty early in the season to be looking for interior line play, especially because I and I know that you as well, Corbin, have been you know pretty intrigued by what we've seen from Phil Haynes when he has been healthy. Obviously, Damian Lewis, uh, you know, has played pretty well at times, and of course, Gabe Jackson still on the team as well. The guard is not a position I have a huge deal of concern for for the Seahawks because it just feels like they do a pretty nice job of developing those players. But again, getting back to the initial question, I do think this is a pretty good class uh, coming up here. I think there's going to be a lot of tackles, big body tackles. There's a kid at Florida um, that is another big body guy. Uh, Osiris Torrance, um, 6'5", 335 pounds. And it just kind of screams Seahawk there that have the size, the bulk, the physicality, and the, the dominance against elite competition that I think would very much match what the Seahawks have preferred in the past. So again, I think that Seahawks fans should rest assured uh, that, that the club is going to be able to find any help in the interior should they feel like they need it. Our next question here coming from Tori tweets, with Metcalf maybe out a while, is it possible Seattle could have a realistic chance to lure Odell Beckham Jr. to the Pacific Northwest? What would it take to make that happen? So I'm not going to say that it's impossible. If you would have asked me this two weeks ago, I'd be like, there's no way OBJ is going to ever sign with the Seahawks. They're in rebuild mode, not going to be a playoff team probably. And yet here they are. They're in first place, four and three. Now, if they win a couple more games here and they stay in first place, Geno Smith and Beckham, I believe, were on the same roster a few years back with the Giants. So there is a little bit of past history there, even though Geno Smith was not the starter. The way that he's playing right now, if the Seahawks could find a way to offer him the money that he's looking for for the second half of the season and he's fully healthy, that's the biggest caveat here. Everything I'm reading sounds like not going to be healthy enough to play really till mid-December so that is not going to be an immediate option for the Seahawks anyway they're looking for somebody that can plug in to replace Metcalf's production the next couple of weeks it is not going to be OBJ even if he wants to play in Seattle so I still think this is very unlikely to happen regardless of what time we're looking at maybe mid-December if he's looking to sign with the team the Seahawks have the money and they're looking to make it happen maybe they can strike that deal. But right now, I would still say that the Chiefs, going back to the Rams, one of those teams, maybe the Packers, they desperately need receiving help. A team like that probably has a better chance of signing him as long as he's healthy. The Seahawks would be in the peripheral as a real wild card at best. 
Next question here coming from lots of whiskey tweets. Is Pete Carroll going to step back after this season to keep Shane Waldron? There's no way he's not a head coach next year, right? Well, maybe he's had a lot of whiskey or maybe he's on to something. <laughs> well, that, that's I think they're both possible. Um, you know, at the same time, with, with all due respect to Shane Waldron, um, Pete Carroll, I, I think, is is really truly flexing right now as far as how darn good of a coach that he is. I, I think that, um, that that Seahawks fans should be hoping that Pete Carroll wants to come back next year and the year after that and the year after that because the man is truly a marvel. That you know, again, Corbin, we talked about this previously. I I will happily raise my hand and say I was among the many who were saying that the Seahawks were not going to be this successful. I cannot believe the way that they have played so far this season. I mean, just at every single position, they are basically exceeding expectations. Um, And and so, again, I I think that you have to give credit to the guy in charge, and that is clearly Pete Carroll. So Shane Waldron is doing a terrific job, and, and I certainly want to give him that credit. Um, but at the same time, I also think that um, it, it was not that long ago where we were questioning whether Shane Waldron would be able to keep his offensive coordinator position. Um, yeah. you know, and, and so to, to, to argue that he should take the mantle away from Pete Carroll, I, I think it's very much putting the cart ahead of the horse. Um, if Pete Carroll decides that this is the, the end of his you know, time, as a as a head coach and then the the Seahawks have a decision to make at that point but I I think that we should be uh you know basically trying to welcome Pete Carroll back for as long as he wants to stay rather than trying to keep a seat warm for somebody else to take that spot yeah I think right now he is making a run for lifetime contract the way that things are going right now and I think a lot of people out there that maybe were anti-Carroll after the way things played out the last couple years I think that they're starting to bite their tongue a little bit or they're eating some delicious crow right now. That's kind of where things stand. Next question from Marcus tweets, which rookie has surprised you the most so far? It's interesting that you asked this question, Marcus, because I kind of, in a little bit of different wording, asked Pete Carroll that today because he's talked about this class exceeding his own expectations. And for me, I centered the question around Boy Mafe because I scouted Boy Mafe extensively at Minnesota, coming from Big Ten country, I, I admit it. I, you could say it's biased. I watch more Big Ten than any other conference because I grew up in the Midwest and I love black and blue football from the Big Ten. So I watched this kid play a lot, and I was intrigued by his pass rushing ability, his size. I thought he could maybe grow into a good run defender, but I sure as hell didn't think he was going to be getting 80-plus grades as a run defender from Pro Football Focus in the middle of his rookie season and be a full-time starter. I did not see that coming. I mean, he, he had the integral play on that fourth down stop on the Chargers' first drive yesterday. He just stonewalled the blocker. I mean, I never saw that coming. So to me, he is the biggest surprise of those six guys that are starting for the Seahawks, six rookies from their class that are starting. It's unbelievable to me. that We're talking about six rookie starters. But Mafe is the one that has really surprised me the most just with the way he has defended the run, and he has yet to really come out as a pass rusher the way I anticipated. That is going to come real soon. He's going to have that breakout game getting after the quarterback. Once that happens, look out. Like Pete said today, this is a player that's far from reaching his potential, still a work in progress 
when he gets there, this kid is going to be special. And it just keeps going back with how dynamite this rookie class is. But he has been, in my opinion, the biggest surprise for them. One last question here real quick, Rob. We're going to go away from the sports world here for a second. Gregory tweets, Joe Burrow last year said he was too scared to watch Harry Potter as a kid. Did either of you have a movie that fit that bill? <laughs> this is a great question. Wow. Uh, there's a lot of them. I, I'm not much of a, of a horror movie guy, you know, and so all the nightmare on Elm Street kind of stuff. I mean, heck, seven uh, back in the day. Uh, I, I did not want to watch any part of that, although I thought it was when I actually got old enough to you know, kind of watch it, have a little bit of maturity with it. I just thought the acting in that movie was fantastic. And that's not necessarily a classic horror, you know, kind of movie, but it, it definitely was a thriller that, that kept me up at night. Um, though, but those kind of movies to me are, you know, I, I remember watching, I think, you know, some of the star Wars movies back in the day, you know, return of the Jedi and stuff like that scared me. I, I am not into that kind of stuff, <laughs> you know, and that was not my thing. Um, you know, what, what, what scares me is, uh, you know, trying to defend dynamic wide receivers down the stretch kind of a stuff. I, I'm not a, a horror movie kind of a guy. See, and I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, I don't have all my stuff right now up in the walls uh, in my room. We're getting ready to move soon, so I don't have a lot of stuff up. But uh, normally I have a bunch of horror memorabilia. So I was the four-year-old that mom was trying to drag me over to the Disney section, and I was picking up Critters and Gremlins and saying, I want to watch these movies. And so and maybe that tells you where my mental space is at. But there was a movie as a kid that freaked me out, and this is going to make you laugh, Rob, because it's a comedy. Uh, Home Alone 2, when I was a little kid, the scene where Marv electrocutes himself in the basement, which now I think is flat-out hilarious. It's one of my favorite parts in the whole movie. But as a little kid, that scene traumatized me when you could see his skeleton. And that all the scary movies I watched that I thought were awesome. That was the thing that scared the living daylights <laughs> out of me. So uh, it's just weird how that works sometimes. But now, like I said, that, that scene is really funny in my opinion, but as a little kid, it freaked me out to no end. All right. We're going to get back to talking football here coming up next in our third segment on our Monday episode of locked on Seahawks, our Monday musings, our in-depth takeaways, offense, defense, special teams coming out of yesterday's big win in Los Angeles. We'll get to those here in a moment. We've got a big Monday night game between the Bears and Patriots coming up. I'm picking Mac Jones to toss a pair of touchdowns in his return from a high ankle sprain, while David Montgomery will carry the load with 100 rushing yards for the Monsters of the Midway. Those might seem like bold leaps with prize picks. It's easy to play. Daily Fantasy, put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players, and if they go score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And Prize Picks offers projections in any sport that you watch, whether it's NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, boxing, or MMA. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. And there's safe and fast withdrawals. Currently, it's operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast Monday edition. I'm your host Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, 
Rob Rang. We greatly appreciate all the 12s out there that make Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. They've got the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. The Seahawks officially in sole possession of first place in the NFC West after seven weeks. I still cannot believe that I am saying that. At this stage of the season, I think Pete Carroll was expecting it, but a lot of us were not. The Seahawks getting a big win over the Chargers to make that happen yesterday. A game that really never felt as close as even the final score indicated a 14-point win. It really was a dominant, thorough showing on offense, defense, and special teams for the Seahawks. All three phases, aside from a little blip in the second quarter, it really was a blowout, a one-sided affair at SoFi Stadium. And I had a chance yesterday in the postcast to share a few of my thoughts and We'll have a lot more to talk about here in this segment. But, Rob, I'm going to get you the mic first. Let's talk offense because the Seahawks put up 37 points again. Another big scoring outing against the Chargers defense that still has plenty of talented players, and yet there was very little resistance for most of this game. Yeah, again, it's kind of like I want to just heap praise on Pete Carroll. I want to heap praise on Geno Smith. Um, you know, just absolutely spectacular performance yet again from him. I thought he took some, uh, you know, some really aggressive throws in, in this game. I One of the things I like the most, Corbin, is when it did feel like at times Seahawks were playing against not only the 11 players on the Chargers defense, but also that 12th uh, person or people in the referees. There, there were, I thought, some fancy calls that kind of reeked of the NFL wanting to keep the game close, wanting to keep that L.A. crowd in it. And I just like the way that Geno Smith kind of responded. You saw Pete Carroll at one point, you know, kind of uh, when when Geno was arguing with, with the line judge, the referees there, and Pete Carroll had to try and calm him down. They did a little, you know, hand motion here to try and calm him down a little bit. And just the resiliency, the grit that Geno Smith showed um, and that, that exact next play on a third and 12 third and 11 he fires his 12 yard pass that had as much zip as any ball i've seen geno smith throw all year long tyler lockett gets for that first down to me what was exciting about it is the that an angry geno smith is still a very effective geno smith we were talking about movies a couple of moments ago and it reminded me kind of a classic scene of a movie that i loved white men can't jump where Wesley Snipes has the conversation with Woody Harrelson, at least the characters in the movie, and says, okay, I know, you know, your, your kryptonite, so to speak. You know, if I get you angry, if I start talking about your, your girlfriend, Rosie Perez, uh, you know, in the movie, then that can get you sidetracked. I love the fact that Geno Smith was angry at that moment and yet still kept composed and played even better. That, to me, is an exciting element of where the Seahawks, Seahawks team and Seahawks season could be going. I could sit here and rave about the way that Geno Smith is playing for the next 25 minutes and find a bunch of stats suggesting he should be the MVP frontrunner. I did that last night in an article, and I truly believe he deserves to be in that discussion. But for this particular game, I want to shift attention to the guys blocking in front of him. Now, they gave up a couple of sacks on third down in the red zone in this game. Those are the only blemishes, though, really. This offensive line, all game long, was winning in the trenches. They were knocking the Chargers off the football. And I talked about it before this game. This is not a defense that held up well against the run. That 
stayed the same in this game. Ken Walker, the third running all over him. And a lot of that, sure, Walker created a lot of yardage in his own right, but that front line was feasting, even with third stringers like Jay Curhan playing a good chunk of the game. They were getting after it. The tight ends were getting after it. And really, the thing that stands out to me most for the offensive line, I'm just going to say this question real quick. Khalil Mack who? This was the quietest outing I think I've ever seen from Khalil Mack. In fact, I was sitting here earlier today doing some prep for the show, and I was thinking, you know, I only remember one time even seeing number 52 out there, and it was when he was chasing after Ken Walker III on his 74-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter. I couldn't think of any other time that he did anything that I remember that he was even on the field, and that is a credit to Charles Cross and Abe Lucas. In particular, Cross got the most reps against him in this game, and he put the former Defensive Player of the Year, on lockdown. He had one pressure this entire game, no quarterback hits, probably the quietest game I've ever seen Khalil Mack play. And I've watched a lot of Khalil Mack games, Raiders, Bears, College of Buffalo, you name it. I've seen this guy play a lot. I've never seen him shut down like that. So this was the most impressive performance we've seen from Charles Cross in his young career going against one of the elite pass rushers in the NFL, guy that was having a phenomenal season. He silenced him in this game. He, he really did. And, and uh, yeah, you kind of you know took some of the words out of my mouth there, you know, just because of the fact that um, whether it be on the offensive line or Seattle's defensive line, I thought Seattle was just clearly the more physical team. And that to me, again, is a testament to Pete Carroll. I mean, that, that I, I don't know that we expected to see Seattle be this physical. There was just so many questions with the young team. Um, I, I just love the fact that, you know, that the team had to be excited, uh, you know, going back, you know, Uchenna Nuosu's former team, and he has become a leader for this club. It, it just looked like they wanted this one for him. Um, and, uh, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I just love the way the offensive line was firing off the ball all, all game long. But rather than just focusing on the honest scrimmage, and again, as you said, with Junior Smith, you could talk about him for 25 minutes. I could certainly talk about the offensive line for 25 minutes, including Jay Curran, who had some really impressive block, a couple of knockdowns, um, you know, and coming in for Phil Haynes, that right guard position. But to me, one of the most exciting things is when DK Metcalf went down, then Marquise Goodwin came in and went up. That that touchdown reception over J.C. Jackson, as we talked about before, thoughts and prayers to J.C. Jackson and his recovery. But still, for Goodwin, a guy who, of course, was known as an incredible leaper, you know, as a former guy competing for the Olympics, um, you know, and, and one of the great leapers of all time at the collegiate level. But still, to see those hops at his age, to see him come up with a second touchdown as well, uh, I, I think that's one of the reasons why the Seahawks can't afford to let DK Metcalf to to rest easy and get back a hundred percent because they do have a player in Marquise Goodwin who who truly can do it all on the other side. So to me, as well as D. Eskridge having a big time performance as well, seeing the flashes of his speed, his physicality, he didn't see a lot of catches. But you know, when you watch the All Twenty Two as you and I do, and of course lots of our listeners do as well, um, you know, you saw D. Eskridge putting some blocks downfield as well. He to did. Me, he did, I, yeah. It, it was a spectacular performance. It really was. It was, it was a terrific all-around performance by the Seahawks against the team and the Chargers that a lot of people bandied about as being a Super Bowl uh, you know, favorite. And for Seattle to thump them in their own house, I thought was really an impressive performance. 
Yeah, I'm going to take a few words back on Eskridge because the more I watched that play that he fumbled on, that was a really poor pitch that was thrown to him. And from the press box, it looked more like it was his fault. You, you got to catch the ball, but at the same time, that was a really difficult catch for him to make there. And the blocking was outstanding on the outside. He was getting after it all game long. So kudos to him. You'd love to see more in the receiving game, but he's going to have those opportunities if Metcalf misses any time. We were just talking about somebody stepping up for an injured player. We got to talk about Ryan Neal. And I talked yeah. about him a bunch on yesterday's show because to me, he was the defensive player of the game. I think he should be getting some looks as defensive player of the week in the NFL this week. I thought he was playing with his hair on fire, just flying all over the field. And he, he, Came up on that fourth down, teamed up with Boy Mafe to stuff Austin Eckler. First drive of the game. Turnover on downs. Very next drive, dropping back into his zone coverage responsibility as a second linebacker in a dime package and ends up jumping a route by DeAndre Carter, picks off Justin Herbert, had a couple other stops in the line of scrimmage. Four passes defense in this game. That's the second most by an individual player in the entire NFL this year. Only the Eagles corner. Uh, like Darius Slay. Darius Slay is the only other one that has had five this year. That was against the Vikings. So just an incredible performance. I didn't mark him down for any missed tackles either. When he was getting the guys, he was getting them down. He was getting his hands on the football. He denied Carter a touchdown on one of the Chargers drives. They did score a few plays later, but still, you can't discount the plays that this kid was coming up with. And he did it under the weather. Pete Carroll saying he had IVs yesterday morning. Michael Jordan would be so proud to see the flu game that he put together for the Seahawks going out there and playing the best game of his career. If they can have Ryan Neal bottle that up, he's going to not only help this defense continue this resurgence and be a legit top 10 defense potentially, but he's going to make himself a lot of money as a restricted free agent next year. And no question about it. I mean, it's appropriate that we're having this conversation, you know, and during the week of Halloween, because I think that, you know, R Ryan Neal looked like if, you know, he was wearing somebody else's uniform, that he would get that defensive player of the week, uh, you know, accolades. What if, if he was wearing number 33 is Jamal Adams, you know, and again, I, all due respect to Jamal Adams. I wish him a full recovery from his injury. But if we're talking about a more celebrated player nationally, I think he absolutely would be a slam dunk choice for defensive player of the week. If he was wearing number 27 as Tariq Woolen, I think that he would be back-to-back -back defensive player of the week honors because you're right, Corbin. He was spectacular. He was easily Seattle's best defensive player yesterday. And I thought that he was their best player on the field. And I certainly did not expect to say that about Ryan Neal. I thought that the Chargers very much tried to target him in this game, and that clearly was a mistake because Ryan Neal came up to, uh, you know, really rose to the challenge. And, you know, another player that I think rose to the challenge, and he did not make the splashy plays that Ryan Neal made, but I really thought, and you can kind of go back a couple of weeks ago, I just as excited as I was when the Seahawks signed Bruce Irvin, but I think that that is not coincidence that Seattle has become a more physical, a more accountable 
defense and, and team overall ever since Bruce Urban re-signed with this team. And that is exactly what I saw on tape back all those years ago at West Virginia. Everybody talked about the 40-yard dash and what a dynamic athlete he was, 6'3", 250 pounds. But it was the grit, the same toughness, the same ability to hold up at the point of, uh, the point of attack that you were talking about before with Boye Mafe. That's what Bruce Irvin was able to do for the Seahawks all those years ago. And to see him bring that back, talk about like kind of grown man strength. He still has that. And so I think that he has given a little bit of a, a boost in the arm, kind of like whatever Ryan Neal had in that IV. Uh, that I, I think that it is a boost in the arm, um, you know, to to the Seahawks right now. And they're playing good football. And I don't think that um, that it is a coincidence that Bruce Irvin is on this team and Seattle is playing a little bit more physical, nasty, uh, aggressive kind of football. And I think that's the perfect segue to cap off this show because I want to mention number 52. Because yeah. Daryl Taylor, I asked him straight up after the game, what is it meant to get Bruce Irvin back in this locker room and on the field? And he cited his run defense. Irvin had a couple really nice plays set in the edge yesterday. And those are plays early in his career that he would not have made, but he grew into a stout edge defender. And Daryl Taylor now having that veteran presence back in the locker room, he can learn from watching him. He can learn from talking to him. And really, you know, Taylor missed his entire rookie season, and Irvin only played in two games before he tore his ACL. So he really hasn't had that chance to really use him as a mentor. And I think this is just a great opportunity. It's very similar to Adrian Peterson with Rashad Penny last year. Bruce Irvin can have that kind of impact. And now we've seen back-to-back weeks that Daryl Taylor in that situational pass rushing role has had a strip sack. And this one, he ended up catching the fumble and returned it back into the red zone. That was one of the coolest plays that I've seen. And so we're seeing him elevate his game. I thought he had a couple plays. He set the edge yesterday. So he might already be learning from watching the example of Bruce Irvin. And I think 51 is going to be on this 53-man roster within two weeks. Once his practice squad elevations are used up, uh, they're going to get him on the roster. He is one of their top 53 players. And just his impact as a mentor for these young guys and clearly can still play as well. He had two pressures by my count rushing the passer yesterday. So he can still do a little bit of that and defending the run. That could be a really surprise impact addition for the Seahawks middle of this season, a team that is certainly surpassing all expectations, except maybe in their own locker room. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Locked On Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, it's Tell the Truth Tuesday. We'll dish out our final takes coming out of Sunday's win over the Chargers. We'll take a first look at an upcoming 6-1 and one New York Giants team in Week 8 and much more. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.